Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You are listening to the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and I love to talk about books with anyone and everyone. While listening to my podcast, you will hear author interviews, behind-the-scenes conversations about various aspects of the publishing world, theme discussions with other book lovers, and more. For more book recommendations and a complete list of all of my interviews, check out my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts From a Page. This is the second episode of my behind-the-scenes series. On the first Thursday of each month, I will be interviewing someone in the publishing world about his or her job and what it entails. I will be speaking to literary agents, audiobook narrators, editors, people in marketing, bookstore reps, and more. For this episode, I am chatting with Carolyn Hewitt. Carolyn is an audiobook narrator, actress, and writer. She has narrated audiobooks for publishers, including Penguin Random House, HarperCollins, Hachette, Blackstone, Recorded Books, and Dreamscape. She has appeared on television and When You See Us, The Island, New Amsterdam, The Blacklist, FBI Most Wanted, and Harlem. She has also appeared on Broadway in Junk and The Front Page and has numerous off-Broadway and regional credits. Thanks so much to Erica Roebuck for connecting us. I learned so much from our conversation, and I hope you do too. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome, Carolyn. How are you today? Thanks, Cindy. I'm well. How are you? I'm doing great, and I'm so excited to talk with you because I have just become much more of an audiobook listener, I would say, in the last nine months, 10 months. Uh-huh. So it's been interesting to kind of understand what it's like to listen, pay attention, the whole process. So now I have so many behind-the-scenes questions for you. Oh, good. Yeah, it's a different experience, for sure. It's a completely different experience. Well, let's start from the very beginning, and you can tell me how you first became an audiobook narrator. Yeah, so I... I think we'll get into this maybe more a little bit later, but my background is as an actor. And I have some friends who have been audiobook narrators for years. And I've always been very intrigued by what they do. And I listen to their audiobooks and love them. And one of them suggested a few years ago that I take a workshop with an amazing audiobook coach, Jamie Matler. And I was all signed up for the workshop. And then I booked a TV gig in the Dominican Republic which was amazing. So I missed it. But Jamie was kind enough to do a session with me one-on-one. And she kind of taught me the ropes and really encouraged me to audition and to start reaching out to different publishers. And then the pandemic hit. And luckily, I had sort of, I wouldn't even say I got my foot in the door before that, more like my toe in the door of just having started with audiobooks. 
So when we were all staying home, it was awesome to know that I could still act from my own closet, essentially. And yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's sort of that's sort of the nutshell version of how I got started. And do you still act? I know, obviously, during COVID, most of that was shut down. But now that things are starting to open back up, are you acting again? A little bit, yeah. A little bit of, you know, TV and commercial. It's trickier with theater, for sure. I think in addition to it being so uncertain, my comfort levels aren't quite there yet in terms of performing on stage. I totally get that because it seems like Broadway and some of these places are really up and down. They're open, they're closed, they're open, they're closed. So it's hard to know exactly what's the right thing to do right now. Yeah, and I feel so lucky to have audiobooks because it sort of feels like doing a one-woman show every time I read one. When you did your training or your course, what all do they go through? Yeah, so for that course, it was just kind of a one-day thing. Basically, Jamie just had me read a passage from a book that I loved. And she talked me through a little bit about the ways in which we can imagine exactly what the narrator is going through to inhabit their every action and moment. And then we also practiced some character voices, which I found a little more difficult. I think I went to grad school for acting and we got to play all kinds of fun characters there, but it had been a while since I'd played someone a lot older than me or a different gender than me. So it took a little getting used to, and then I loved it because it's so, it's just so cool as an actor who has been, you know, playing people who are approximately my own age and background to get to play all kinds of different people. So we practiced that a little bit. Um, and then she helped me with some auditions, and I was kind of off to the races. Did she talk at all about audio setup, like what it would look like on your end, what equipment you might need, how you should structure that? You know, at that point, she didn't. I was primarily trying to do audiobooks in studio. And then with the pandemic hitting, it was really tricky because I am not a tech person. And I, I had like a very strong reaction to needing to get all the equipment. It felt really overwhelming. But I got it, and I somehow, you know, thanks to the amazing tech people who walked me through every little bit of setup, was able suddenly to self-record. And I worked with an awesome engineer who showed me how to use the software. And now I think I have, I would say I have very, very basic self-engineering skills, but I can do it. You know, I can record a, I did a 40-hour book at home by myself and figured that all out and then sent off the audio. So. That wasn't discussed then, but I've kind of kind of figured it out. I mean, honestly, if something really went wrong with the software, I wouldn't have any idea what to do. But luckily, I have a great support network to help me with that. And they walked you through headphones, microphone, like when to talk, the sound that can come from background noise, all of those different types of things. Yeah, exactly. They walked me through some of that. And then some of it is just trial and error, you know. I realize now that if my stomach gurgles, I have to stop. And my microphone is very sensitive. There's certain street noises it really picks up and others that I can keep recording without it being a problem. And then in terms of setting up my own booth, when I first did it, I was actually staying with my dad in Maine. So it was very quiet. He lives in the middle of the countryside. So it was easy to kind of soundproof the closet that I was using. But now in Brooklyn, it's a little trickier, right? There's a lot more street noise. So I, I kind of just figured out the sound blankets that I would need and the different, like the acoustic foam and where to put it. And then, you know, worked with some engineers who were kind enough to tell me like how they thought it sounded or if I needed to continue with the process. And I actually kind of loved it because I feel like I have just a kind of a better sense now of the equipment because I know what it picks up. 
Yes, that has been such a learning curve for me. And then for me to try to communicate that to the people I'm interviewing. For sure. So when we hopped on, I said to you, your sound is so good. Like I could tell from the very beginning. And of course, it makes perfect sense because you're recording audiobooks. But it really can make such a difference, all of the things that go into good sound. Definitely. And I think, you know, one of the hard and wonderful things about narrating audiobooks is you're in the book for such a long time, depending on the length. You know, you spend so much time deep in that text. And for me, it's really a treat to know that I don't have to worry too much about sound getting inside my space because I've done a good job with soundproofing. So I can really just focus on the book and the characters. Absolutely. Because I find that even on these interviews, that if I can hear noise on the other end or something's happening, it's super distracting to me. So to know everything sounds great, then I can truly just focus on the interview and not worry about what's going to be happening when I listen to the recording. Yeah, it's so distracting. And for me, you know, if I hear an outside sound through my microphone, I have to stop and go back and re-record that little bit. So it's definitely in my interest to try to make the space as soundproof as possible. Well, that's true, too. Well, let's start from the very beginning in terms of the process for you getting hired to read an audiobook and how all that works. So how do you get hired for a particular book? It sounds like there's an audition process. Sometimes there is. So it depends on the publisher. Some publishers have open auditions that you can find online. Others will send you auditions if there's something they think you're right for. And then some some publishers, a producer will just reach out via email and say, I think you're right for this book. Can you fit it in your schedule? Does it interest you? And then you have the book. So it, it kind of comes about a few different ways depending on who you're working with. There's another aspect of audiobooks that I'm not as engaged in. I was a few years ago called ACX. So ACX is for authors who maybe their book isn't getting produced by a publisher. So they go on there and work directly with a producer slash narrator. And that way they can get an audio version of their book made. So for those, there's generally an audition process. So an author who's maybe self-published or published through a smaller publisher would use that as an avenue. Exactly. So once you're hired, what happens next? I'm assuming you read the book ahead of time. Definitely. I always read the book ahead of time. And from there, my process kind of diverges depending on whether it's fiction or nonfiction. So with a nonfiction book, I read it through and I look up any words that I may not know how to pronounce. Even things that I'm pretty certain about, I just double check and I write all those down. I personally embed them in the actual manuscript so that when I get to that part of the text, I can just listen to what the pronunciation is. And if there are still words that I don't know, especially names in a lot of nonfiction books, there are names of people that it's really hard to find on the internet, then I'll send those, those words to the producer who either will be able to find them or help me find them or will ask the author how to pronounce those. And then for fiction books, my process is a little longer generally. So I'll do the same thing in terms of pronunciations, but I'll also go through my script on my iPad And I will highlight all of the different characters in different colors, all of their dialogue. And then I'll go back through and working with the producer, depending on accents or the background of certain characters, I'll make a decision about the character voice. And then for me, and I know this differs, all of this differs for different narrators, I will often kind of rehearse the book. So I'll go through the different character voices and practice them. Or if there are tricky pronunciations or words that I didn't know before, I'll practice the pronunciations. Because basically for me, I want to be really ready to go by the time I'm recording. So I don't have to stop a ton. 
so that transitioning between accents or tricky voices is as fluid as possible. And it's interesting how your brain can really map that out if you've gone through it a number of times, instead of just sitting down to do it all at once. Yeah, for sure. That's just what works for me, and I've kind of developed that over the last few years. And, you know, maybe that will shift. It also depends on the book, right? Some books demand trickier voices or accents, or, you know, if you have a scene with 18 Frenchmen, it's, it can be really tricky to differentiate them, right? So, so part of it is how am I going to make these voices sound different? And then the other large part is how am I going to be true to the character as the author has written them? Well, that's my next question. If you have the opportunity to talk to the author to learn more about their vision for characters or for scenes. Yeah, usually I don't. I think I've had one opportunity to talk to the author, and that was very helpful. But I think usually it goes through producers for me. So if I have character questions, I'll ask the producer. And maybe the producer already has information about that character, or maybe they relay that to the author. Of course, I would love, I, you know, I'm, I love books. I love reading. I would love to talk to the authors. But I think that's just not always possible. So you're raising a question for me that I didn't even know I had. You're working with an audiobook producer. So I suppose within each of the publishing houses, they have an entire audiobook or audio division. So that's really where you're working, is it within the audio division? That's right. Yep. So a producer is assigned a certain number of audiobooks, and then they're farming them out or hiring people or whatever the right word for that is. Yeah, exactly. So I love listening to your podcast, and I know that sometimes authors talk about their imprint. I don't even know the imprints of a lot of the books that I work on because it's through the the sort of larger publisher that houses that imprint. I guess I'd never really thought about that. I did know it because people talk about HarperCollins Audio or Penguin Random House Audio, but I just never thought about it kind of being a conglomeration of all of the imprints and that that wouldn't even really trickle down to you. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't actually, I actually have to look it up if I'm trying to find out what the imprint of the book that I'm working on is. That's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know it's such a large part of the author's lives, you know. Right. But it wouldn't matter to you at all. Right. Yep. How about quality control? So once you have initially recorded, how does it work for you? Do you check mistakes and inconsistencies? Does somebody else do that? And then how does it work to redo a portion? So I work with publishers and they will have someone who edits it, someone who quality controls it, someone who masters it. And these are all very mysterious processes to me. So I'm glad that there are experts to take care of them. So uh, usually I will record a book at least four weeks before its release, usually longer. And then I will send the audio to the publisher or to the editing company directly. And then a few weeks later, I would say usually about one to four weeks after I've sent it along, depending on how soon it's being released, they will send me a pickup packet. And what that is, is it's all my mistakes <laughs> uh, with what the actual text says, and then a little sample of how I said it. So I can try to match my voice to what I was doing because, you know, I don't remember exactly how I said a different paragraph or if, you know, it's the middle of a really intense action sequence. You want to try to get it as close to that as possible so that it flows for the reader. And then I will say it, hopefully correctly, that second time, and send all that back to the editor. And then that gets incorporated in their process before the book is released. So say you had five mistakes. They'll say mistake number one is at two hours and 40 minutes, and then you'll send it back. This is the correction for mistake one, something like that. 
Kind of. They're actually even nicer about it. They will actually send me the page with the mistake highlighted and then what I said. So I can just click on the little sample and then read the actual correct thing. So if I wanted to, I could read above and below usually to get some context. And then just that one sentence or however long they've asked me to record, I'll send that back. It's all kind of usually just in one big file of all the mistakes. And, you know, for me, five mistakes on a book would be amazing. I, uh, I make a lot more than that. But usually the editors are very good natured about it. Well, I think that makes perfect sense. They're very long audios. I was just trying to pick a low number so that it would definitely not be above what you would do. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, and I think it's it's tricky. I've I've sort of battled with, oh my gosh, I have so many pickups, what's wrong? And then I thought, you know, obviously you don't want to make a ton of mistakes, but I think one reason I make mistakes is because I'm in the flow of the book, you know? And so I think I think that's good because I actually think it means that I'm very immersed in the text and what's happening and not thinking so much about exactly what does this say, you know? Absolutely, because it comes out a lot more naturally that way. Yeah, I hope so. It's interesting to me that you mentioned matching your tone, the pacing, whatever it is that you need to correct, because that's something I had no idea was even an issue till I started doing this podcast. And when I have to go back and correct something, sometimes it'll take me six or seven re-records to match where I was. So I have to kind of go back and listen and do the same thing, like, okay, you know, what was I talking like that day? Was I excited? Was I mellow? You know, whatever it is, it's so fascinating to me that that's a lot harder than it would seem. Yeah, it is, for sure. I think sometimes I, I listen back and I'm like, really? That's how I did that? Okay. Yeah, exactly. But also I think, you know, something something we, as, you know, voice artists or whatever you want to call us as narrators, a quality that I think we have to have is a good ear. You know, I um, I speak French. I can do a lot of different accents, and I love that. And I think part of part of being able to do that match is really listening, really getting used to listening, right? So I I would imagine, Cindy, for you, as you've done the podcast longer, you've gotten better at doing those pickups for sure. Definitely, and I've come up with strategies for doing them where it doesn't sound as forced or it it fits in better. Definitely. It's something I've worked on a lot, though, and with my editor. She's been wonderful about giving me strategies and ideas and ways to make it go better. Yeah, it's it's tricky. It's tricky. It's also, I think it also brings up the thing of like, sometimes we don't like to hear ourselves or watch ourselves. And so you just kind of have to get used to that. I agree with that completely. Well, talking about making mistakes, I find that the longer I talk and the more interviews I have in a day, the more I am stumbling over my words. So do you have a maximum amount of time that you can read that you feel like you're still at your top game without there being a problem? Or does it really depend on the day? How does that part work for you? That's a really good question. Usually I'll have a certain span of time to do the book. If I'm recording by myself, I'll apportion a certain, you know, page amount that I want to try to get through. But it's really hard because once you get to a book, Maybe each page takes you longer than you thought, or you're stumbling more because you're just not quite getting used to the style yet. So I try to do like a four or five hour span max with breaks. You can maybe, my voice is a little tired today. I've actually just had three days recording a book with a character that, a a narrator that had a very high pitched voice. So it was a little bit of a stretch for me. So with something like that, kind of knowing going into that book, that the main character's voice was quite different from my own. I have not planned any recording for tomorrow or the next day because I want to make sure I have that rest. But I do, you know, I love, I get excited. I get into it. I want to keep going with the story. 
So sometimes I have to limit myself. Okay, I've reached 100 pages. Done. I can't keep going even if I want to, even if I'm on a roll, because I don't want tomorrow to be tricky. You know, your voice has to sound the same from one day to the next, and it gets tired over time, you know? Lots of tea, lots of water. I do a vocal warm-up before every recording day. Yeah, so these are kind of strategies that have worked for me. But it's hard, you know, if you have a really long book and you have a short amount of time for whatever reason, sometimes you can't limit yourself that way. And it's hard. I think our, our voices kind of have to bear the brunt of our schedules sometimes, which isn't obviously ideal. That's true. I hadn't even thought about that. If you're on a quicker time frame, you really can't limit yourself. Yeah. And, you know, as freelancers, I think, you know, I think some narrators who've been doing it for a long time are able to sort of schedule their next few months of books. But for me, you know, I'm still really starting out. And so if something comes up last minute, I want to take it. I want the opportunity. So sometimes you have to just be a little, a little flexible with that and say to your best friend, sorry, I can't have a three hour phone conversation tonight, or I can't go out on the weekends, or, you know, I really need to drink a lot of throat coat tea or whatever it is that helps. Well, how do you take care of your voice? And then we talked a little bit about pacing your work to protect your voice already. But you talk about drinking water and tea, but do you do anything regularly even when you're not in the midst of recording an audiobook? Oh, that's a really good question. I have a humidifier, which is great. And, you know, I think I, I went to grad school for acting and we learned a ton of amazing vocal warm-ups and workouts. So I think just kind of having a sense of good use in general, which has to do with posture and alignment and listening to moments where you have a little vocal fry, as, as that would be an example of vocal fry, or whatever it is that you feel like, okay, maybe I'm not, I don't have the best use right now, but I have a book coming up. I need to focus on that. Or I don't know, like this hasn't been such a problem with the pandemic, but loud restaurants, kind of avoiding those things in general, because maybe I have an audition, maybe I have an audiobook, but it's disorienting as someone whose, you know, livelihood comes from their voice when it's not working the way you want it to. It's hard. A lot of narrators, you know, have to go through periods of complete vocal rest where they don't, you know, speak a word. And obviously that's not ideal, but you have to just make sure that you're kind of ready in whatever way. Throat coat tea, though, in general. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even know that was a thing. So there's actually throat coat tea. Yeah. I can't remember the company that makes it. There's throat coat and then there's, I think, throat care. They're very good teas. I actually really like the taste of them. They're kind of licorice-y. But they really help to soothe. For me, like, my voice was pretty tired yesterday after recording. And I just had a cup of throat coat tea and it felt so much better. I actually, um, I stirred in a little bit of coconut oil, which kind of smooths things out. And the vocal cords, for me at least, I know it's different for everyone. Yeah, and that really helped. That's fascinating to me. I've never really thought about doing any of that. Like when my voice is more hoarse or I'm having allergy trouble, I'm going to have to look into that. Yeah, for sure. And for me, that that experience just comes from years of of live theater where you get a cold and you don't have an understudy. And, you know, it's, it's there's kind of a panic when you think, oh, my gosh, the audience might not be able to hear me and they've paid money to hear me, you know. So it's I feel like there's like kind of all these sort of home remedies passed along within the different communities. That's great to know. So this next question relates to something that I was not even aware of because I don't do it myself. But I have a number of friends and some of my patrons in my Patreon community who read along with the audio. So they have the book in front of them, but they're also listening and they do it jointly. 
And they were saying that the audio sometimes varies from the print version and that sometimes they call it listening and reading in tandem. And they notice that sometimes phrases or even whole paragraphs are not included. Do you know why that is? I don't know why that is. Sometimes I think audiobooks are abridged versions of the book. But that would be, I think, a, a decision that would be made at the publisher level. For us, we get a manuscript and then just have to follow that really precisely. So I guess I, I've always assumed that the books I'm narrating aren't abridged, but that actually raises a good question because I might, I might be narrating subtly, slightly different texts. I don't know. I found it fascinating because I had no idea this was a thing. I either listen to audiobook or I read the book, but I don't do them together. But it was something that when we were all chatting about it in our Facebook group, several people said, oh, I notice this all the time. So wow. there must be, and I don't think it's probably an actual abridged version because it would seem like they're not probably going to the effort of having an abridged and a regular, but maybe they just shorten certain parts. I don't know. I'm Now I really want to get the answer to this question. Yeah, that's interesting. I do know that certain things, obviously, if you know a book says something like, as you read on page three... We might just say, as you heard, you know, little changes like that to make the audio format work. Or I, I've done a book where there were illustrations that were really integral to the plot. So it was sort of like, and check out the cool drawings on in the PDF included with this book or whatever that is. But no, that's that is very interesting. I'm intrigued now, too. I want to figure this out. <laughs> I know. Now we have some research to do. Exactly. So tell me some of your recent favorites that you have recorded as an audiobook narrator. Absolutely. You know, I, I will say that I, I feel like I feel so lucky to be a narrator because I love to read. And sometimes narration has me read things that I never would choose to read, but I find very intriguing, especially with nonfiction. But my heart belongs to historical fiction. And so I have absolutely loved recently working on Erica Roebuck's Sisters of Night and Fog which comes out March 1st, I believe. That was an absolutely stunning book, and I loved, loved, loved working on it. Um, another fun historical fiction book that I did uh, that came out in the fall was The Diamond Keeper by Jeannie Mobley. And that was a really beautiful story about a young woman in France during the Revolution who uh, has to protect the Hope Diamond and bring it to England. So I just I, those are those are books that I would have chosen to read on my own anyway. So it feels especially fun and special when I get to narrate books that are kind of right in my my wheelhouse in terms of my taste. And you also read Erica Roebuck's The Invisible Woman, right? I did. And it was really cool working on this second book since both of them are set during World War II having worked on uh, the story of someone completely different, also in similar circumstances. And Erica's who connected us. So I love Erica. She is wonderful. And I was so happy that she connected us up for this episode. Yes, me too. She's so lovely. And I'm, I'm so happy for her book to be in the world. It's a really very important one, I think. Absolutely. And there's been so much great press about it. Good. There should be. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Well, what's the biggest challenge you face as an audiobook narrator, and how do you overcome it? Yeah, I think there's a few. I think um, something that's tricky, obviously this has been a tricky thing for everyone in the last few years, but especially as narrators, we're so often working alone in a small closet or booth or wherever we're recording. And the isolation can be t really tiring. But the sort of wonderful um, silver lining or side effect of that is there's an amazing community of narrators online, on Facebook, on Twitter 
And so it does feel like you can connect with your people, even as everyone's recording experience is so individual. It's really exciting when I get to work with a director or an engineer on a book because suddenly there's another voice listening to what I'm doing and I can kind of chat with them or ask them questions about how something lands. So that's for sure a challenge, but I'm glad that there's been, you know, lovely ways to overcome it. I think for me, you know, I've been freelance for so long as an actor that I'm I'm used to the freelance thing, but I do wish for myself to get to a point where I have more books consistently lined up onto the onto the horizon of my calendar, you know, because that's challenging. I want more, you know, I love 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 narrating. So I have to sort of remember, you know, I've I've done a good number of books and hopefully I'll get more and that will be overcome on its own. And then I think like a larger challenge that I think most narrators are kind of nervous about right now is there's a lot of conversation around artificial intelligence narrating. That's right. I forgot. I read an article not too long ago about that. Okay, let's talk about that. Yeah. So I think I can't remember the names of the companies. There was an article this fall in Publishers Weekly about the progress that they've made in terms of artificial voices. They're good. They're a lot of times they're so good that people can't tell the difference, especially when they're narrating nonfiction. But it's a hard, I mean, I feel like I'm such a Luddite in general. I'm I'm like, no, automation. I don't like to even go to the automatic checkout at CVS, you know, I'm like, I want a real person. But I think that it's it's really tricky because it feels to us as narrators like what we do is an art that is about empathy, that is about feelings, living, breathing, and expressing emotion. And so to to have a lot of companies believe that it's a positive thing for their bottom line to shift because of automation feels very heartbreaking. And, you know, it's not only narrators who would lose work. It's all of the people who do, you know, the editing and QCing and mastering that I was talking about. And I, I think that I think it's a really valid discussion to have. I think there's a lot of conversation about the fact that maybe, you know, authors who couldn't afford to have their audiobook produced otherwise would be good candidates for artificial intelligence. I don't know. I haven't I haven't listened to a book narrated by a non-human voice. So I can't say, but I, I like to think that, you know, authors want their books narrated uh, empathetically. Basically, it's there's a lot of questions being raised. That makes sense. And I, I remember reading that article now and I hadn't thought about it since then. But that's kind of different. You know, I do think that the beauty of listening to an audiobook is the emotion and the empathy and everything that's going into the story. And it's hard to imagine that AI could replicate that. I agree with you, for sure. I think, I think it's a filter. Obviously, the narrator's perspective on the book is a filter that provides a different angle for the book, right? It is very different from reading it. And hopefully, that angle adds humanity to it in a different way from reading the words on the page. I don't know how that would work with automation. <laughs> I agree. Well, what is something about the audiobook process that might surprise readers? That's such a good question. Um, something that I, I get questions about is whether we will like do all the text of one character and then do all the text of another. Nope, we read right through chronologically. So if you have a 10-page conversation with 15 different characters all popping in and saying their piece, we are switching like mad between voices. We don't memorize our texts. My very sweet brother-in-law asked me if I had memorized the entire book he listened to. No, thankfully, I'm just reading it off an iPad. 
Can you imagine the memory you would have if you had memorized that entire book? I know. And, and, and I, then I could recite it. I could stand on the street corner and shout the book to the world. Oh, sometimes we catch typos, which is very exciting. It's like a little treasure hunt. Uh, we're kind of like the last, the last phase of reading a book over before it goes out into the world. So it's sort of exciting to spot one and then write to the producer and say, oh, I found this. So hopefully when they print it, it can be corrected. Yeah, so a lot of us are sitting at home in our home studios, and it can get quite warm. So it's almost like we're sort of having a little sauna whenever we're narrating. Because, you know, some people have great ventilation in theirs. I do not. So it's, it's always, you know, tropical in my studio. And then another thing, you know, I, I love nothing more than when a book makes me laugh out loud or cry. And I love listening to audiobooks and have that happen. But sometimes as a narrator, it happens. I was narrating a book and there was something and it just on that day struck me as so funny. And I'm really glad that I didn't have a director or an engineer on that project because I must have tried 20 times <laughs> to say it correctly without just totally cracking up. It was delightful. It was maddening because I just wished I could get through it. But it was really, really fun. Those things are so funny when they happen because the worse it gets, the worse you keep laughing. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it just sort of snowballs. Yeah, it's really hard to kind of get back on the horse. And, you know, I have to think, I'm a professional. I'm a professional. Just do this. But, and then, and, you know, and then there's phrases that your mouth just trips up. There's a beautiful anecdote of Stephen Fry that maybe you've seen. He narrated some of the Harry Potter books. And there was a little phrase that, that was in almost all the books that he couldn't do. And in this interview online that I've watched, he, he's trying the phrase there and he can't say it. I can't remember what it was. But there's just things, you know, I just trying to think, oh, there is, there's one I always, uh, un, un, is it uncertain? There's, there's just some little sort of bugbears that, that come back to us. And we, every narrator has like their word or two where they're like, I can never spit it out, you know. The dread as you see the word approaching on the page, which then just makes it worse because then you're tense, you know. And you're focused on it. If you're not focused on it, a lot of times you can get right past it. But as soon as you start thinking about it, then your brain just hijacks you. Exactly. You're totally overthinking and you can't let go of it. So you've mentioned a couple of times that there's a director, sometimes a producer or an engineer. Is that because you're doing it in studio or it's a more complicated audio or there are multiple narrators? What usually causes one of those people to be participating? Yeah. So in my case, I've had the experience of having a director when it's a certain publisher that often use that always uses directors, actually. Okay. And so that's always a treat because I love having the outside eye. Sometimes it's fun. It's really fun recording by myself. It feels a little like, OK, I can I can play with things maybe a little more than I would with a director. And then. Other publishers tend to use engineers or or have you self-engineer. I can do both. But that can be true whether you're in a studio or at home. The preference for in-studio or at home is mostly due to the publisher and whether or not the narrator has a studio. One of my close friends is a very successful narrator, and she doesn't have a home studio, so they always put her in a studio, which is great. I love having a five-second commute from my living room to my place of work, so I'm very happy at home. So I think that has shifted with the pandemic. I think previously there was a lot more work in studios and now there's some and there's just a ton of, of people who have home studios. I think it's like all of these audio and video type things that none of us could do prior to the pandemic that we're all now so familiar with, like Zoom and recording podcasts and whatever else it is, recording audiobooks. Exactly. It's, it's dragged us all into, you know, 2022, whether we like it or not. 
I feel like some recent audiobooks are really upping the ante, such as Will by Will Smith. Do you think this trend will continue? What do you mean? I actually haven't listened to Will by Will Smith. What, wh- how would you describe the ante being upped in that, in that case? And maybe it's just that I haven't listened to others and this has already been happening elsewhere, but I have heard a lot of chatter about Will. So he raps a lot in it, separate from the, the dialogue. When he mentions like his grandmother singing in the choir, the choir's playing in the background and singing. Um, he incorporates a lot of music and extra things that aren't in the book. That sounds really cool. It's so cool. Yeah, I should definitely listen to it. Yes, I think I'm noticing more music in audiobooks as well. Even those little instances I told you of like um, the sort of more graphic novel format with having a PDF attached. I feel like we as a culture are hungry for different uh, experiences to listen to. And so I think that, yeah, I think that this is a shift. I don't know for sure. I know that Audible now does their Audible original sort of plays that you can listen to. Yeah. And I don't know, like, I actually don't know how that is manifesting in terms of my audiobooks. I don't tend to listen to mine because, you know, as I said before, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to listen to yourself, especially when you're like, oh, if I could go back and change that. But maybe, you know, I don't know if my audiobooks have music attached to them. I haven't rapped in any of them. <laughs> I can't rap. Well, he is a rapper. So, you know, he was doing his own rapping. That's true. Um, and he, he read his own book. So, I mean, it's got to probably be in those type of situations where you're producing your own story and narrating it. You know, like in his situation, he was rapping from Fresh Prince, some of his earlier rap music. But, you know, the addition of the choir singing the gospel tunes, there were just a lot of really cool extras in that one that I have not heard in others. That's really cool. And I wonder, too, yeah, maybe part of that was that he had a little more creative license having written it than if if someone else had narrated it. I wonder if they would have done those same things, you know? Exactly. It might not have made as much sense. So what do you do if you are narrating a book you don't like? This is such a good question. You know, I think one thing that I I learned in my training as an actor was that you find a way to love every character you play or you can't really do it. So I I do feel I feel really lucky cuz genuinely almost every single book that I've done I have really enjoyed. But for sure it's it can be hard if there's a book that's a very different style from what you would have chosen to read. And I think, again, like it just comes down to empathy and trying to find the heart of the story. And, you know, even if maybe the heart of the story isn't um, shining through in the way the author's presenting it, to really go to that and feel like, okay, it's my job to deliver this to the audience, even if I don't necessarily like the package it's in, you know? I think the harder, for me, a harder thing almost is some books, I, I never know until I start narrating a book how quickly my voice and my mind, I guess, are kind of going to click into the style of the author. So sometimes there's a book I, I absolutely adore and have, you know, feel so ready to do. And then I start speaking it and there's, there's just something in the way, maybe it's the rhythm of the author's sentences or the way they use punctuation that just doesn't feel intuitive to me. And it feels like an effort. And those books are really hard. And that's why, you know, as I said before, you never quite know how long it will necessarily take to narrate 50 pages. Because if you're not able to kind of click into it in that way, it can be a little bit more of a wrestling match. You need to have a connection with the book. Yes, exactly. That's so interesting. There are just so many things about this interview that I've never thought about, and I love learning all of them. It's fun, I think, to see, to get insights into different people's worlds. And and Cindy, thank you for providing that on your podcast. I loved listening to the 
I can't remember who the guest you had on who talked about cover art. That was so cool because I never would have thought of any of those things. So it was really awesome to have that insight. That was Olga Gerlich. And I am such a cover art person. I just really, I always talk about covers. I'm fascinated by them. I think that a cover can make or break a book. And so it was so interesting for me to talk with her too, to learn more of the behind the scenes stuff. Totally. And I I will say that as a narrator, I get really excited when I love the cover of a book that I'm narrating, even though obviously we have nothing to do with that process at all. But it's really, it's cool. You know, it shows up on our Audible page and we get to see that cool illustration or whatever it is. It's exciting. Now, do you have an author that you think, oh my gosh, I would just love, love, love to narrate their book? Yeah. I feel like I'm the sort of reader who, like, the last book I read is my favorite book I've ever read. Like, I don't, I I have a harder time sort of keeping things with me from years and years before. I love Jennifer Egan's books, and I feel very connected to her books. I'm I'm actually currently reading a, um, not narrating, just reading a book by Colm McCann that I really like. Yeah, and I guess, I don't know, I think for me it's almost more about worlds, I love history. I study history. I there's certain eras, Gilded Age New York, World War II France, like revolutionary France that I feel so uh so much kinship for. So it's almost almost more than an author, it would be different eras. I was so excited with The Invisible Woman because I actually had spent months researching spies in World War II France because I was thinking about writing a play about them. And then the pandemic hit and it was too sad. But I was so excited to get that book and to get Sisters of Night and Fog because I feel like they all feel familiar to me. That world feels like something I've imagined so much on my own that it's really, really, really exciting to take somebody else's journey through it. That's what I love about reading is that you are taken to a completely different place, introduced to people that you didn't know, sometimes a different era. It's just wonderful, especially in the last couple of years. Yeah. And as much as we would have imagined that world by reading a book about the history, to have somebody else lead us through it through a different protagonist's eyes is absolutely amazing. I agree. Well, as you read, do you think about narrating each book you're reading? Does that distract you or can you just pick up a book and read it and not think about the narrating aspects? Mostly I can pick up a book and read it and not think about the narrating aspects. If I'm prepping a book or two at that time, sometimes I find myself thinking, oh my gosh, I don't know how to say that. And I'm like, oh, haha, I don't have to. But yeah, I, I, I still very much can read a book simply for the joy and pleasure of it. That's great. That's wonderful that it doesn't rob you of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. I actually had never thought that it could. So I, I'm very lucky. Well, Carolyn, before we wrap up, I would love to hear what you've listened to and read recently that you really liked. Yes. So in terms of reading, I recently read um, The Cazalet Chronicles by Elizabeth Jane Howard. Do you know those books? I don't. Oh, I, I just love them. There are five books. They're each about 500 pages. And they follow a family in England from the, I believe, early 30s until the late 50s. and she changes from character to character. So she, you get different insights into all the different characters' perspectives in each book. And it's stunning. I, I, she wrote them, I believe she, the first one was published in the early 90s and the last one in around 2000. I might be wrong about that. But I just, it's, they're so good. The characters are so clear. I, I think about them all the time. I read them over the summer and I think about them all the time like old friends. 
And I don't know how she did it because there are seeds she planted in the first hundred pages of the first book that pay off in the last hundred of the last book, which would be, you know, like 2,500 pages later. (laughs) So I highly recommend them. Well, those sound really good and I'm not familiar with them and I'll have to look them up. Yeah, I would. I think I'm not sure, but I think you'd like them. (laughs) Okay, good. That's one of the reasons I love to ask this question is because I'm always finding books I didn't know about. And then for a listen recommendation, I recently listened to Gary Paulson's Gone to the Woods, which was narrated by Dan Bittner. I don't know if you're familiar with that book. Is that his new memoir? Yes. I have it in my queue because I love his books. My son loved Hatchet and a bunch of his books when he was younger. And so as soon as I saw that pop up in Libro FM, I downloaded it, but I haven't gotten to it yet. It's so good. Hatchet was one of my favorite books as a kid. And this is heartbreaking and stunning. And it feels like a really good argument for living your life as it comes to you. It's That's kind of the only way I can say it. But Dan Bittner is amazing in it. He brings so much, you know, a lot of the story is about a little boy, and he brings so much poignancy and emotion to the really challenging early life that Gary Paulson led. So I highly recommend that as well. Okay, good. Well, I'm going to bump it up. I always end up downloading a bunch at once, and then it's time to pick my next book, and I'm kind of wading through them all trying to decide what to listen to next. So when I'm done with the one I'm listening to now, I will do that one. Totally. And I feel like we're both so lucky in that our work relates directly to getting to read because there are way more books than any of us can ever consume in our lives. So thank goodness we get to do that professionally. Exactly. It is amazing. You know, the stacks and stacks of books. And I think I'll never get through all of these in my entire lifetime, but I want to. I know. I know. (laughs) It's a problem. Adding audio in has helped me a lot because I can do it in the car. I can do it when I'm working out. I can do it when I'm just doing chores around the house. So it has definitely increased my reading. Totally. And would you say, this is, this is a bit of a debate, and I don't have a good answer to this, but when you have listened to a book, would you then say to someone, oh, yeah, I read Gone to the Woods? This debate is hysterical to me because I see it unfolding all the time on Instagram and elsewhere. <laughs> and I'm not sure I would use the terminology that I'd read it. I might say that I'd listened to it. But I've definitely consumed the book, and I don't think it's not reading. You know what I mean? For me, I'm such a literal person that I probably would say I'd listen to Gary Paulson's book. But I feel like I've definitely read it because I've listened to it. And I don't understand that people say it's not reading. I know. I agree with you. Yeah. And also with audiobooks, it's great because people who are reading impaired can also enjoy it, you know? Absolutely. And as I said earlier, a number of my patrons, they do it together, which I think is really interesting. I'd never thought about doing that. Yeah. Have they told you what their reasoning behind that is? I'd be curious. Actually, I was just thinking I need to ask that question. So now I will ask and have to get back with you. Yes, please. But yeah, it's interesting to me. Very interesting. Well, I can't thank you enough, Carolyn. This has been fascinating and I have learned so much and I can't wait for everybody else to learn so much as well. And I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Cindy. It's been really lovely speaking with you. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope you enjoyed this behind-the-scenes episode and are looking forward to more. Next month, I will be speaking with someone in marketing. If you have any questions you would like me to ask her, feel free to drop me a line through my contact form on my website. I hope you'll tune in next time. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. 
You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.